Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we begin a very special series called I Am Truly Canadian as we reflect on our nation for an entire week. So let's turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 7, with a message entitled Celebrating Our Nation. Back to the Bible Canada. Well, it's going to be different. But don't worry, it's just one week. But do keep listening because I think you may enjoy this week. It's a special week in our nation as we celebrate 150 years as a country from 1867 to 2017. And we at Back to the Bible Canada thought we would try to get some perspective from a Christian vantage point. We do want to celebrate our nation, but we also want to consider it as Christians. So where do we start? Some time ago, the CBC did a TV series entitled Canada, A People's History, trying to make Canadian history more accessible to the everyday Canadian. And let me quote from that program. They said, on July 1st, 1867 at noon, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and the province of Canada were proclaimed the Dominion of Canada with John A. Macdonald, its first prime minister. Now, the area of Upper Canada was called Ontario. Lower Canada was called Quebec. In most parts of the New Dominion, it was a dazzling sunny day. The reverberation of a brass band could be heard in many towns. In Toronto, children were given Union Jacks to wave, and an ox was roasted in front of St. Lawrence Hall, with the meat then distributed to the poor. In Ottawa, a military review on Parliament Hill fired a salute. The soldiers forgot to take the ramrods out of their rifles, and the iron rods arched over Spark Street. In Quebec City, a cannon was fired on the Plains of Abraham to mark the day, and most Canadians spent the time by the water, happy to have a long weekend. In Halifax, the British colonists trumpeted, the days of isolation and dwarfhood are past. Henceforth, we are a united people, and the greatness of each goes to swell the greatness of the whole. The Morning Chronicle offered a different view. It said, died last night at 12 o'clock, the free and enlightened province of Nova Scotia. At the waterfront, an effigy of Charles Tupper, one of the fathers of Confederation, was burned alongside a live rat. But for many in the new dominion of Canada, the day held magic and promise. One young girl in Hamilton, Ontario, described the evening celebrations in her diary. There was the dark and there was the light of a candle. And there was the opening of a great door, the rush of a cool, fresh air, and the deep darkness. Oh, look, said a voice. The sky was suddenly full of shooting stars. There were fountains of stars, colored red and green and blue. This is the 1st of July in the year 1867, my father said. Always remember this day and this night. You're a very lucky little girl to be a child of Canada today. Well, we at Back to the Bible Canada are joining our nation in celebrating the birth of our country 150 years ago. Now, please don't think that we're forgetting or abandoning our mandate this week. We are a Bible teaching ministry. And what you might ask, does the Bible have to do with a celebration of 150 short years, a recent country in a world of ancient cultures and great civilizations? I remember some years ago having a conversation with a retired missionary, a man who had spent years in Ethiopia, now retiring back to his home and native land of Canada. He told me it's really disappointing to live in a country again that's not mentioned in the Bible. And so, of course, this week is not about finding hidden code words in the Bible that mention Canada. 
And it's certainly not about finding Canada's role in end times or about pretending that the great covenants of God are fulfilled in this nation. I mean, thankfully, our country has not been filled with that kind of thinking. No, we are actually a serious Bible teaching ministry, and we're not going to make a stretch to make application. But this is a week in which we urge Christians to think intelligently about our role and our place in this nation. And in this week, to ask what the Bible might say to our nation. And in the course of this week, I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Michael Haken, who will help us understand how the history of Christianity in this country has progressed to the present day. And Dr. John Redekop, who has taught political science as a career, can speak quite intelligently about the Christian's role in this country. But today, as a way of introducing this very special week, I want to begin by reading a passage from the book of Jeremiah. And I hope you'll see where I'm going with this, but if you don't, don't worry. I'm going to explain it. I'm reading Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 7. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You might already anticipate what I'm going to say. In today's message, I will not compare Canada to Jerusalem, but rather to Babylon. I will say that we are like Daniel in exile. Every morning, Daniel would open his window and look out in the direction of Jerusalem, and it is there facing the city of his faith that he would have his morning devotions. His heart and his desire were for his God and for the people of his God. He never lost his heart's longing for that which was truly his home. And yet no one can doubt Daniel's commitment to the land of his exile. Indeed, later, as Daniel served the king of the Persians, Daniel 6 verse 3 says, Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. You know, in that context, the excellent spirit meant that Daniel gave the land of his exile his full and his complete devotion. He left nothing undone. He wasn't sloppy in his work. His loyalty was to his king and to his empire. Indeed, later, when his enemies sought his undoing, verse 4 says, they found no complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him with the exception of his devotion to his God. And that brings us back to Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. He wants them to settle down in the land of their exile, to increase in number and seek the welfare of the kingdom of Babylon, for if that kingdom is blessed and prospers, so will they. And that's going to be the theme this week. 
As I have said, we're not going to argue that Canada is Jerusalem. As much as we might love this land, and I do, we're going to argue that the land that we long for is not this one, but the new Jerusalem to which we are traveling. Now, we're merely exiles and strangers here in a strange land. We will argue that Canada is like Babylon in a certain sense, for this is not the holy city. But while that's so, it is the task of believers to seek in whatever way they are able to be both thankful for this nation and to eagerly seek the welfare of this nation. And above all, this is not a week to criticize our nation or to point out its weaknesses. This is a week of thankfulness, and this is a week as citizens of the kingdom of heaven to seek this nation's welfare. We want the land of our exile to do well. But we're not unaware of the fact that we do face challenges as Christians living in this, the land of our exile. We know that it's not always easy, so where do we begin? Well, not long ago, I was asked by someone if I was proud to be a Canadian. You know, I had to think about that for a while. And a conversation began between myself and my friend. I said at the outset, I was deeply thankful to be a Canadian. For 150 years now, Christians have lived in this country, experienced a degree of freedom to practice our faith that in terms of the history of the Christian faith, well, what we have here, well, that freedom is stunning, both in our freedom to gather as believers and then for the sake of this ministry, our freedom to to share broadly a program on Bible teaching throughout this country which is unhindered and is protected under the law, well, I am grateful for that. I'm also thankful for the prosperity in this land, so it really is possible if we're generous with our riches to actively support Bible teaching and evangelism and the growth of the gospel. I'm thankful that Leonard Tilly insisted that we call this country a dominion, taken from Psalm 72, verse 8. And I am grateful that this country really does have a legacy, faithful men and women of God who were faithful to spread the faith in this land. One hundred and fifty years as a nation and back to the Bible Canada will be spending a week celebrating our country and discovering how we as Canadians must continue to live out and share the good news to our nation. Join us all week for Dr. Neufeld's new series, I Am Truly Canadian. And during the month of July, make sure to ask for our I Am Truly Canadian commemorative display card. This card reminds us of our Christian heritage through our national anthem, Psalm 72, verse 8, which was the impetus for naming our country a dominion and offers a word of encouragement and challenge from Dr. John Neufeld. So order a copy of Dr. Neufeld's teaching series, I Am Truly Canadian, for only $8 plus shipping and taxes, and ask for your free I Am Truly Canadian commemorative display card by calling calling 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca. I am deeply grateful for Canada and I am deeply committed to the welfare of this land. But am I proud of my country? Well, before I deal with the issue of patriotism, pride in country, 
Let me get back to Jeremiah's counsel to the people of Israel living in exile. His first counsel was that they should increase and not decrease. And his second counsel was that they should seek the welfare of Babylon, for in its welfare is their welfare. You know, as I think about this, I'm reminded of Paul's words to Timothy, and that's found in 1 Timothy 2, 1-4, which in my view covers both of Jeremiah's concerns. Let me read it. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The phrase, first of all, refers to the first duty of evangelism. Paul returns to that theme when he says God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, in that I see both of Jeremiah's two commands. We're called as Canadian Christians to increase and not decrease. I suppose we can see that in two different ways. First, we can see that in terms of keeping Christian families strong, healthy, sharing the importance of marriage, the blessing of children, and so forth. But I think we could also see this in terms of evangelism, sharing the good news, making sure that our churches are healthy, centered on Christ and reaching out to the world. Notice Paul begins with four important words that will describe our prayer lives. First, he uses the word supplications. You know, that word means making requests for the needs of lost people. Secondly, the word prayer. Here, Paul has in mind bringing these lost people before God. Thirdly, the word intercession, and that word means standing before God as a priest, much like priests did in the Old Testament, and appealing to God on their behalf. Now, I have to stop here and say that a great majority of people in our country today have never had anyone pray for them. So let me begin with a job assignment. Let's imagine you have a coworker and this woman or man's not a Christian. You're wondering how to share the gospel with them, but let's imagine they tell you of a son or a daughter that's maybe involved in drugs and they're heartbroken. What should you as a Christian do? Tell them if they'd only entrusted their kids to God, this wasn't going to happen? Well, of course you wouldn't say that. You say to them, can I pray for you? And if they say to you, yes, then pray for them right there. I, I promise you it's likely they will never have heard someone pray for them in the past. That's first supplications, then prayers, then intercession. And then Paul adds a fourth item in praying. He says, thanksgiving. We pray with thanksgiving because we're confident of God's great love for lost people who live in our nation. But Paul's not done. He wants to add something. He knows how prone we are to only praying for a few select people, and he wants to say that's not enough. He says in verse 1 that we pray in this way for all people, so how do we do that? See, I remember when I was a little boy, and my mom taught me to pray every night before I went to bed. So I prayed a prayer that sounded something like this. I would say, God, could you make sure that nothing bad happens today? Nobody dies and nobody hurts anyone. And well, I'm pretty sure that every night my prayer went unanswered. And that was a little boy's ineffective prayers. But it does illustrate a point. How do we pray for all people seeing that it's either impossible or it's so vague it really doesn't mean a, a whole awful lot and therefore our prayers are ineffective? Rather, what Paul has in mind that we pray for all kinds of people. 
Remember, this would have been very near to Paul's heart, for he was a missionary to the Gentiles. He would have thought about praying for Jews and for Gentiles, for slave and free, for Greeks and barbarians. He would have been praying for everyone, in a sense, for all people groups. This really is a missionary prayer. And herein is an application for us. In our country, we must pray for all the cultural groups that are a part of our nation. That's our first task in reaching out in Christ. Here now is our second. Pray for the political leaders and their decisions. Notice Paul says, pray for kings and all who are in high position. In our case, that would mean we pray, well, for our prime minister and for our members of parliament. It means we pray for the premier in the province where we live and your MLAs. Instead of, as so many do, that our first impulse is to criticize and to malign, may it be known of believers that our first impulse is always to pray. In other words, we should be praying for political leaders that they too may be saved along with their families. Of course we should, but that's not Paul's main point here. Paul realizes that political leaders make decisions that affect the progress of the gospel in a region. And so we pray that the decisions of political leaders will not hinder gospel proclamation. Notice we're not praying for a Christian country. We're praying that they would make decisions that would not impede gospel proclamation. Now, some people completely misread verse 2, believing that God's will is that we live peaceful and quiet lives as if that's an end in itself. So we pray, God, help us live at ease and be comfortable and well-off and satisfied as if this were the emphasis of the gospel. Well, Paul in his letter seems to have no concern for that. In fact, if anything, his life was devoid of the very things that we're so concerned about. His sufferings for the gospel were well known. I mean, added to that fact was that Jesus warned us that suffering for the gospel is a part of our calling. All of the prayers in the world will not remove this from us, so Paul can't mean that in the way that we often read it. So what are we praying for? Well, for one, when Paul wrote this letter, these words must have seemed incredible. Christians had often suffered persecution from political leaders, and, and Paul had himself been beaten and imprisoned by them. Christians were blamed falsely for burning Rome and had been horribly martyred by government leaders. Philip Ryken tries to put it all in perspective when he says, the church's reputation is in need of almost continual defense. This is partly because the gospel is so radical that Christians are always potential revolutionaries. Yet in the face of opposition, God wants his people to keep quiet. Christians who do not pray for their political leaders tend to disturb the peace, he says. So, we pray because political leaders are established by God, that leaders will make decisions that will show respect for believers, and in the process, we want peace and the best for the nation we live in, because when this happens, the gospel can go forward. So when Paul says peaceful and quiet, he means in relation to government. So after all that, what do we make of the idea of Christian patriotism in Canada? Remember, I had mentioned the conversation with a friend in which we were discussing whether or not we were proud of our country. And I, for one, find this a difficult question. I am grateful for the way in which Canada has opened its door to refugees, for example. I'm grateful that when my parents arrived here, they were welcomed. I'm thankful for this land. 
Secondly, I also love this land. I do. I love Canada. And out of that love, I will pray earnestly that God may be glorified in this land. And I pray for a mighty advance of the gospel in this land. Thirdly, in whatever way I can, I will seek the welfare of this nation. If God enables me to, I will seek to be a part of justice and equity and prosperity and peacefulness and the well-being of the nation called Canada. But what of patriotism? Well, on one hand, I kind of fear patriotism because when it's unbridled, it often leads to abuse of and the mistreatment of others. I also know that both in the history of our land, whether in the treatment of aboriginal peoples or in the treatment of, let's say, the Japanese in World War II or today, in our unbridled love of abortion, there is much in this country that does not lead to pride, but but rather to shame. I still don't know how to deal with patriotism. That's because, like Daniel, I open my window every day and I look in the direction of the New Jerusalem and I say, this is not my country. This is the land of my exile. But in this land of my exile, I am determined to love this land and to serve this land and to pray for this land and to bring the saving message of Jesus to this land. In that sense, I am truly Canadian. And as Christians, we join other Canadians and celebrate 150 years as a nation. I'm grateful for the resources of this amazing land, for its magnificent beauty, for its wide open expanses, for everything from its waving yellow wheat fields to its oil rigs to its manufacturing strength and its boundless diversity. In that, I want to learn my unique place as a child of God in Canada at this point in time. During this week, we will explore more about a thoughtful approach to living well as a Canadian Christian. John, what a great message and what a great way to start this week. Maybe you could help us though. What do we have to look forward to in the days ahead? Well, I've got some great interviews. I mean, two with a wonderful brother, Dr. Michael Haken, who I think is the foremost authority on the spiritual history of Canada. And I've got an interview with a marvelous Christian man, Dr. John Redekop, who has taught political science. And both of them will help us to shape what it means to be a believer in this country today. I think we do need a uniquely Canadian brand of Christianity that is faithful to the gospel message. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to that right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We teach the Bible. That is the very core purpose of Back to the Bible Canada and the bedrock of all we do in ministry, including Truth and Life Today, In Doubt, Laugh Again, and Back to the Bible Kids. Dr. Neufeld wrote, We teach the Bible carefully, reverently, believingly, and with an urgent appeal to the listener. The Bible can do what all other personal efforts cannot. The Bible reaches the lost, calls back the wandering, heals the hurting, offers hope and strengthens the believer to stand firm in the faith. The Bible leading to the gospel is the only message we have to this and every generation. Would you support this mission? You may know that last month we had a successful match campaign, so successful that the same group who provided the original match has provided an additional $70,000 to be matched in the month of July. 
dollar for dollar. So your gift of 100 or any gift is matched up to $70,000. Another great opportunity to invest in Bible teaching. Call us with your gift today at 1-800-663-2425 or join us online at backtothebible.ca.